0: good morning it's great to hear each other's voices as we're together in worship we continue this morning our series preaching through the gospel of luke we've come to chapter 23 as you see we're getting close to the end of this book Um, through great planning we will finish luke the last sunday of this year Um, or it just happened to turn out that way at this point in the narrative of luke jesus has been arrested by the jewish council they arrested him out of jealousy and their bitterness toward Jesus their desire to silence him because they viewed him as a threat to themselves we saw in the last message from this book that uh, they put together what was a sham trial that ignored their own law and had nothing to do with any form of justice they declared Jesus guilty of blasphemy For calling himself the Christ and the Son of God but they still were not able to get what they really wanted which was to eliminate Jesus permanently but under the Roman rule local leaders did not have the authority to sentence anyone to death and so the Jewish Council brings jesus before pilate who is the roman governor and so we pick up that description in verse 1 of luke 23 then the whole company of the jewish council arose and brought jesus before pilate they began to accuse him saying we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, You have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people throughout all Judea, from Galilee, even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. When he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at length, but Jesus made no answer. The chief priests and scribes stood by vehemently accusing him. Herod with his soldiers treated Jesus with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, He sent him back to Pilate Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day for before this they had been at enmity with each other Pilate then called together the chief priests and rulers and the people he said to them you brought me this man as one who is misleading the people After examining him before you, behold, I I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they all cried out together, away with this man and release to us Barabbas. demanding and with loud cries that he should be crucified and their voices prevailed so pilate decided that their demand should be granted he released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they asked but he delivered jesus over to their will our heavenly father we praise you for your word which alone in this world cannot fail we come to your word desiring that our hearts would be instructed that we would see you more clearly and by it we would be strengthened and made wise that our hearts would be full and whole And so we ask for your grace to each of us in the particular place where we find ourselves today. Your word would address our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen. We find in this narrative uh, two groups of accusers the Jewish council and the crowd. The Jewish council here is shown to be deceiving and conniving. Their original accusation of Jesus when he was in their trial was for blasphemy, for declaring himself to be the son of God. But they, they manipulate their accusation when it comes to bringing him before Pilate. They want to portray Jesus now as a political threat. So we see in verse 2, they accuse him not only of misleading the nation, but of forbidding them to give tribute to Caesar. In other words, pay taxes, which he had never done. And then declaring he claims to be a king as though he is threatening Roman rule. The crowd, they're malleable and manipulated. The city is jammed with people this weekend because it was the Passover. And so there were Jews from every corner of Judea. This crowd represented people throughout the nation, not just the citizens of Jerusalem. Just a few days before, they had literally been singing Jesus' praises, throwing cloaks before him as he entered the city, waving palm branches. And now they're crying out, crucify him, execute him. Pilate keeps trying to release Jesus, but in verse 23 it says, they demanded loudly for his death. We not only have two groups of accusers, we also have two judges. Those are Pilate, the Roman governor, and Herod, the Jewish king. Pilate saw through the accusations very quickly. And he calls Jesus completely innocent. This is recorded repeatedly in the passage. Look at verse 4. Pilate said, I find no guilt in this man. Verse 14. You brought this man to me as one misleading the people. I've examined him before you. I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges. Neither did Herod because he sent him back to us. He's done nothing deserving of death. Verse 22. What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt. Pilate tries to release Jesus, it says, specifically tells us three times. Pilate, the the man who has no real regard for God, is three times trying to release Jesus, who he realizes is innocent. Just a couple hours before, Peter, who is committed to Jesus as a friend three times, denies Jesus. We see injustice running up and down through this passage. Pilate knows Jesus is innocent, says it publicly, yet he was willing just to appease everyone, uh, to give Jesus a beating and then let him go. Twice he says... uh, I'll just punish him and release him. And the punishment he means is a brutal whipping. But he would have done that to keep the peace. But finally, Pilate just gives in. He knows Jesus is innocent, but the pressure is just too great. We know from the other gospel accounts that Uh, the people were threatening pilate saying we're going to let caesar know that someone who's claiming to be king you're letting him do it pilate realizes that justice here is not worth his job herod is the other judge he is the jewish ruler in the roman empire Uh, they would allow regional ethnic leaders to continue to hold office under the greater authority of the Roman governors. And so Herod here is the Jewish leader of the region of Galilee. He is the son of the first King Herod, who had been king during the time of Jesus' birth. Now, Herod seems to be a good option for Jesus to stand before to find justice. Herod is excited to see Jesus. He's heard about his ministry. He's been wanting to meet him. Herod is a Jew. He would understand the context. And yet we find all he really wanted was to see some miracle. He wanted to be entertained to see a show. And when Jesus wouldn't answer his questions, he quickly becomes bored and we see how mean-spirited he was in verse 11. For Herod with his soldiers treated Jesus with contempt and mocked Him. We have two groups of accusers the jewish council the crowd we have two judges pilate and herod and we also have two prisoners barabbas and jesus barabbas we only meet by description and that's probably good he's he's not a man we would want to know he was a violent man verse 19 He was in prison because he started an insurrection, a rebellion against the rule of the government and was guilty of murder. Barabbas is guilty of exactly what they were trying to accuse Jesus of, trying to overthrow Rome. That wasn't Jesus. That was Barabbas. And yet, he is the one who's released. He was guilty of serious crime against the nation of insurrection. He was guilty of evil against humanity in murder. And finally, we have Jesus. whose only words in this entire account in verse three. Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, you have said so. It's very similar to what he said to the Jewish council we heard in Eric's sermon on the previous passage in verse 70 of chapter 22 where the Jewish council asked, are you the son of God? Jesus said, you say that I am. We find throughout the Old Testament when that type of expression is used, which is done so 10 times, it is always in the context of making an affirmation. You have said so. You say that I am. It's always an expression of that is right, that is true. It's interesting that Jesus' only words here were words to affirm who he was. The Christ sent by the Father. The promised one given to God's people. But Jesus is silent when it comes to defending himself against injustice. After injustice lie after lie empty accusations Jesus never says a word to any of it now the intent of this passage when you pull back and look at it is very clear Luke is showing us that Jesus is innocent Jesus, who everyone knows was crucified, was an innocent man. And so time after time, we're we're told in specific language, he was innocent, there was no guilt, not a single charge was true. Jesus is not only innocent of all the charges brought against him. Jesus was the only innocent man in the room. He was the only innocent person in all of this drama. No one was innocent but him. All the rest were guilty. The Jewish council knew They were misleading and misrepresenting the facts. The crowd, they had seen Jesus' ministry. They had never seen anything of violence or threat from him. And they allowed themselves to be be led into brutal and violent desires. With no basis for it. Pilate knew and declared Jesus to be innocent. But he didn't have the courage to stand with that. And so he just went with the majority. It made life easier. Herod doesn't seem to care about anything but himself. And Barabbas, he was just a violent, evil man. They were all... Guilty, except the one who's crucified. And we can press this point much further. Jesus was the only innocent person in all human history, he alone was without any sin he did not have the smallest speck of guilt for any crime of deed of word or thought he was the only totally innocent sinless person who has ever walked this earth And he, the innocent one, suffers injustice from everyone else who is there. Even from his own followers. Injustice is so pervasive in this world that everyone here has experienced it. In some fashion, small or great, a child who is mocked and made fun of by other children for being different in some way, the teacher who is impatient and grades poorly a student she just doesn't like, a co-worker. Who goes behind your back to get a better position and misrepresent you to your boss. Uh, A boss who has workers who are deceitful and steal and try to get over what they can. A family member, someone you love who betrayed you. Or even strangers. People you don't even know. Who through their actions, are brushing you aside and getting what they want at your expense. And they don't care. We've all experienced injustice of some measure. And the truth is, and we've all been party to some measure of it. We're all guilty of some measure of injustice, of not being right in what we do, in what we say, or what we think. Injustice has filled this world ever since the first man and woman chose to turn away from the truth of God and exalt themselves, and from them has flowed forth in and through all of us, a sinfulness and disregard for each other. And so justice cannot be found, not truly, not fully, in any society, regardless of how much we speak of loving it. No rulers, no courts or laws bring us full justice. Even when people have true intention for justice. And actually are working for it. They want things to be right. As they should. Some even sacrifice and give great effort to it. And yet, with all those good intentions. We only have specks and spots of justice appearing. It does not pervade life. But the great magnitude of injustice is, is not what we've experienced. And there is a massive amount of violence and heartache and brutality that takes place. Think of the suffering that is in this world. Tens of millions of children who never get to be born. Tens and hundreds of millions of those who are abused in all sorts of ways. And we think of all the different layers of violence that takes place. And yet that does not compare to the magnitude of injustice against God for every evil action is against him. For he created this world out of his heart and desire, breathed forth life into humanity, and made it all good, perfect. And when it came to humanity, he said, very good, in my own image, good. And that God has been patient with this world is astounding. For the whole earth groans and cries out for justice. But only God can truly bring it. Only God can bring true, complete justice, and He will because he has promised to do so. And at first, that sounds wonderful to us, but as good as it sounds, God will bring perfect justice. That that creates a big problem for us because we are all guilty. In some measure, all of our hands are dirty with sin. In Romans chapter 3, verse 19, we read, Whatever the law says, he's speaking not of civil law, the law of God. Whatever law says, it speaks to those under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. God has a law. He has a rule. He is the creator. This world is His. And all of us are under the law of God, and what He desires is that we who are accountable to Him, it says that our mouths would be stopped. The language here is that of a courtroom where the defendant, along with everyone else, has heard the accusations, and the defendant is so clearly guilty, he doesn't offer a defense for himself. He doesn't give a complaint. He doesn't try to say, but this person did that. Their their mouth is stopped in the recognition of their own guilt. And so they don't even try to defend themselves. That's what the Scripture says we need to come to that point to realize we have all sinned against God and we stop giving excuses and complaints and defenses. Or as my father has said so many hundreds of times, we accept the truth about ourselves. That we are all sinners before god against god now god could have justly stopped right there the correct finger of accusation against us bringing us to admit our guilt and consequence come but god doesn't stop there for Romans 3 continues to declare in verse 23. He sums up the statement again, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but then it goes on, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith Uh, this is perhaps the most concentrated theological statement in all of the scripture Uh, what is the bible saying it's really very direct Uh, we're all sinners and we should all be able to say that we all fall short of god's standard Uh, but we're not only sinners god Tells the truth about us, but then he declares he justifies us. That means that he declares innocent. The word justification is someone in a trial and all has been said, and the judge says, I declare you innocent, go free. God takes sinners and he sets them free. He declares there is no guilt upon them. How could that be true for sinners? By grace, by a gift. What we don't deserve, God gives to us. He gives innocence to us. He gives freedom to us. How can He do that? Redemption, Jesus paid the price. Redemption is to be purchased. Jesus purchased our freedom By his blood, he died in our place. And that's what propitiation means. That the price was satisfied. Think of this. Neighborhood kids late at night, in their foolishness, uh, do violence to your property. They break a garage window. They graffiti the walls. They think it's funny. The next day, you're not amused. Who's going to pay to have all this fixed? Their father, who hears what happened, comes to you and says, I'm going to take care of it. I will pay for everything. It will all be made like new. I will pay the price. And you are appeased. Okay, I'm fine. That's the, the thought of propitiation. The price is paid, so someone is They're satisfied. Yes, that's what we needed. God is propitiated by Christ. The payment for our sin, which is death and hell, God receives that Jesus died in our place, paid the penalty, purchased us, and the Father says, I am satisfied the debt has been paid, or as Jesus said, it is finished. How how do we receive this? By faith we trust. Yes, I'm a sinner, but I believe Jesus died for me. And he takes your place. That's what he came for. Barabbas here really is a picture of all humanity. Barabbas was guilty of insurrection. He goes free. Jesus is innocent, but is called guilty of insurrection, and he goes to death. Barabbas should have died. Jesus should not have. Barabbas goes free. Jesus pays the price. It's a picture of all humanity. Jesus takes our charges. And we are made innocent. And there's nothing of earning it It is a gift of grace to anyone who would call on Jesus to forgive them and trust to Him. Jesus was not overtaken by the injustice around Him. It looks like it when we read the account, and it may feel like it in your own life. Verse 23, it says, The voices of the crowd and the council prevailed. Verse 24, Pilate decided to send Jesus to death. Verse 25, Pilate delivered Jesus to their will. And all that's true. The voices prevailed against Pilate who made a decision and gave the people what they wanted. And yet, at the same time, there's a greater reality that the sovereignty of God was moving according to a plan That was started before he created this world the sovereignty of God was part of all of it contained all of it ran through all of it so as people were getting their way even Satan was getting his way through Judas the plan of God for why Jesus came to die for sinners. That was the greater reality. And so that's always true, not just for Jesus, but for you. The sovereignty of God is so magnificent and great, it takes everything that happens to you and against you and for those who are his he turns it into his grace for your eternal good he has declared by promise some christians struggle with the sovereignty of god because they feel that, well, God just does whatever He wants, and I have no control over it, and yes, God does as He wants. Uh, That should only be a problem for us if God is untrustworthy, but He's not. He's not untrustworthy. He's good and wondrous and wise and faithful. And so his sovereignty is to be received, not stoically, but with rejoicing for what he will accomplish. There's one more point to be made from the passage. Jesus was silent when he was accused and suffered injustice because he wasn't trying to escape taking our place. That's why he came, he wasn't trying to get out of it. He was silent when it came to the injustice against him. However, when it comes to us, he will not be silent. He speaks for his people and he defends them. In Romans chapter 8, verse 33, "Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. God has said you're innocent. Who is to condemn you? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Jesus continuously speaks on your behalf and declares... You belong to him. You are innocent. You are beloved. He is your eternal defender. So people of God, true justice will come into this world. But we get something even better. We get grace. And anyone here can have that grace before you leave by crying out for Jesus to save you. And you will leave with grace. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we give you praise that you sent your Son to do what we're helpless to do to save ourselves we praise you lord jesus that you are willing even to die for us and so spirit of god bring the conviction open eyes to see clearly what they need about themselves and about you that we would see jesus heart to save all who call out to him so lead each of us to call to you For you will be faithful in your response to us. Do this in Jesus' name. Amen.